0: Podcast where we get to know the best CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs in the mining industry. I'm your host, Jamie Keach. Alex, welcome to the Resource Insider Podcast today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here, Jamie. All right. So, you are the CEO of Nova Royalties. We've known each other. Uh, for about five years now, I think. And, you know, we, you were doing a lot of different stuff when we first met, so was I. And I want to get into all of that. But, you know, I think we need to start with the elephant in the room here. Um, something I've wanted to ask you for a long time. How the hell do I say your last name?
1: Well, listen, I think, um, yeah, I I was 11 when we immigrated from the Soviet Union uh, to U.S. So I think in these 30-something years, I think the name has been pronounced in every possible
0: way. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever actually even tried. I I I felt so intimidated. Give it a shot. All right. (laughs) Is it Sukernik? That's pretty good. Yeah. Special for the first shot. All right. Absolutely. How should it be said? Uh, It should be said Sukernik. Sukernik. All right. Alexander Sukernik, CEO of Nova Royalty. Alex, for people who haven't heard that name before, who haven't heard of Nova can you give us the 10 second pitch of what you guys are and sort of who you guys are and what you do?
1: Look 10 seconds uh it's, it's, it's really simple you know the world is changing fundamentally. the core commodity sort of in the middle of all of that transition is copper, which is really the centerpiece of the entire movement. Um, and we're we're the first royalty company that's really focused on this and we and kind of royalties that we I, I think are the best way to get exposure to any commodity. And in this case, you know, we, where you own the royalties is some of the most strategic deposits out there, and they're looking for more. So that's that, that's us in a very, very, very short summary.
0: And when did when did Nova, I guess, when did the idea materialize and when did the, the, the ball start getting rolling and putting this whole thing together?
1: Yeah, look, I think, you know, kind of, Jamie, to be honest, this was just something that was building over time. Um, I've, been, I've been in the resource business for over 15 years and so from 2004 2008 which is which is when i got my start uh you know i was focused on the steels on the steel sector as an MA banker mm-hmm. and from there from there we got into iron and coal and did a lot of work with china and so i i grew up very much in the old world uh sort of part of the chain and um then we got into the junior end and sort of base metals and precious metals from 08 until 2011 and I think, you know, I, I had to work for myself starting from 2011, I was a kind of an investment banker in every capacity before. And what I really wanted to do was just start a company. I really, really liked, I, I, I think that's probably the simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it takes time, I think, to really get to a point where you, um, you have the process and, and the discipline and the people and everything just kind of works. Um, I remember, I was in Lima around 2016 or 17. And there's an annual conference there that you may you, you may know. And yeah. a gentleman from the Chinese government went up on stage and he said, you know, these are the commodities that we wanted in 2009, 2010. And so it was, you know, iron, coal, all the usual suspects that I used to work with a lot. And then and he said, this is what we want now. Copper, nickel, lithium. And I thought to myself, man, you know, I grew up in a world where you know, China was really kind of very much a chief polluter. Yeah, because the the steel industry was growing and the Mm -hmm. like. And now these guys are saying that they want green. So we're going to a whole new place. If this is if this is becoming the central mantra of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, And so I so I think at that point, I understood that this is probably where things were heading. But I think the idea was still very immature, uh, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, Brett Heath, who was my my co-founder here, uh, he and I met earlier in 2014, and we stayed in touch. And uh, he put together Metala, the royalty company you may be familiar with and some of your listeners. And he did a great job, you know, just really focused on his on, on his vision. He built it from scratch to now what's a half a billion dollar company by buying third party royalties uh, under the top notch deposits. And uh, we started talking about the energy transition. We saw it eye to eye. And then sometime in 2017, I think late in 2017, I said, you know, maybe we can look at doing something on the royalty side there um and then we just kept talking about the idea and then um Brett through his network uh, knew the owners of the, of the royalty on duma uh which is uh, became our first acquisition and so the conversation was still pretty i think relatively casual at the time you know because we were we were we were feeling our way through like everybody else and then i remember you know i woke up i think someday was march or april and i said you know what i think this is something that i just have to do because it just makes so much sense. Um, so I called up Brett and said, look, um, I can put a team around this. Um, I think this, this is all I want to do, uh, going forward. And so I think we should go ahead. And, uh, he, he had a great, great support from his investors in Metala who had done so well with him, um, and the whole team. And so he said, okay, great. So that was really the core of our first round, um, uh, you know, which is in many ways the toughest financing I think either of us had ever done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, that was the core, that, that was the core of the company the $2.6 million in, I think almost half of that came from three people, which was uh, Doug Casey, Paul Stevens, and Adrian Day. Um, and but I think what we what we saw back then, and if you look at the team that we have, it's really I think some of the best people in our industry. Um, you had this once in a once in a very very rare moment um, when the world was fundamentally going a different direction. Um, And uh, I remember, you know, I I was just a kid in the the former Soviet Union uh, when we were leaving. I was 11 when we left. But I could tell um, that something was fundamentally changing, even sitting in grade school. It just thinks things all around you were just different. And, you know, kind of the feeling that the feeling that I got kind of in that 2017, 2018 timeframe, I could feel that things were changing fundamentally. And I kind of looked at I looked very clearly at that. What do people what do the younger people really want to do? And when you look at what the younger people really want to do for them issues of climate change environment everything associated with this these are like tier one existential issues this is this these are not just sort of random things that they're concerned about i think my generation i'm 42 years old you know i think just being honest it's a much more casual approach on on overall when you when you look at little younger it's totally different and i saw a lot of energy heading in this direction i saw once I saw that the Chinese are going this direction, I thought, you know what? I think we're looking at a complete just change in the global economy and a different commodity mix. And when when we started looking at the pieces, it just became really simple. so, look, this is a copper story in every commodity, in in every field, whether it's wind, whether it's solar, whether it's EVs, um, everything is going to be wired using copper and then the nickel in the the EVs. And we just got going from that.
0: Okay, so there are a lot of points you made in there that i want to dig into and unpack a little bit Sure. and i'm trying to think of the best place to start but i think it's it's something you mentioned uh a little casually and that's about you know growing up in the former soviet union uh under communism and at the time i guess sensing this this phase shift that was going amongst people in your generation now obviously you're not talking about Copper. You're not talking about, um you know, electric vehicles or electrification. You're talking about sort of the shift, I think, towards capitalism and democracy. Am, am I sensing that right?
1: Yeah, it was the, the the sense was, you know, kind of that that what we had grown up with, and I think that the older generation embraced much more that that was giving way. Mm-hmm. You know, that 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 was I think the overriding feeling. I don't think anybody knew where it was going. um I mean, we left. I mean, just personal story. We left in November 1989 understanding that we wanted to leave but without anyone having a clear picture of what was actually going to happen Mm -hmm. and then nine months later it was already a different world over there so yeah so it just changes you feel it
0: you know and obviously you were young at the time but like what what was kind of happening under the surface or, or maybe at the surface uh that made you get a sense that there was this shift in the the zeitgeist i guess
1: i think it's a confidence thing um i think when you um, for instance, like you look, at, say my father's generation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so they they grew up, I think, where you know the adults, the adults expressed full confidence in the way that things were. Mm-hmm. You know, for better or for worse, people had confidence in what they were doing. And I think I remember looking at the adults around me, and I was still obviously very little, but you didn't see that conference. And everybody was looking around to see what else was gonna
0: happen and um there was there was a, a great uncertainty. So the and I, the adults were losing confidence in the existing system. Exactly right. Okay,
1: that's exactly right. And then and when I when I when I remember what I was seeing then, and certainly what I see now is, I don't see a lot of confidence in this sort of old fossil fuel world. I think I think we probably reached well beyond that point
0: <laughs> yeah. at
1: this point when you when you look at all the changes. But go back a few years, what you could feel was that it was really beginning to wane. And that you're probably entering a new era.
0: Now, interestingly, sort of the comparison to fossil fuels, I would say that lack of confidence is not being driven, to your point, like by the adults, but by the younger generation, right? The, probably the twenty to thirty year olds, and maybe even even younger than that. Would you like that? Seems where the the, the thrust of the drive is coming from.
1: Well, that's where I think the conviction is coming from okay i think I, I i think that's where the conviction is coming from but i think it's a, it's it's a, it, it takes two you see the conviction of the younger generation and the lack of real conviction from the older one you know because i mean i think you kind of the kind of what i saw was you know people saying well we need oil and coal or it's practical or something like that which is fine um but that's not the definition of confidence. so <laughs> it's more mm-hmm. of an excuse and so and you felt you you felt at that point um that things just wouldn't be able to hold the way that they had held before. And that I think that what the younger generation really wanted, I think was gonna win out. Um, And I think we're beginning to see that now in terms of policy um, all all across the world.
0: Do you think that, you know, is this shift as simple as like, okay, you know, we're gonna start using more electric vehicles and upgrade the power system, or do you think we're gonna see um, sort of driven in this green environmentalist sort of movement a real societal shift, um, you know, comparable to what you saw with the fall of the Soviet Union and the, the entrance of capitalism into into Russia and surrounding area?
1: Yeah, look, I I mean, I think definitely the latter, um, you know, when you have talking about changes like this, I mean, they don't generally meet you halfway. I think you're talking about some pretty fundamental changes here. Um, so. Um, like the electrification theme and the like i think it's a relatively small part of a much wider change
0: mm.
1: you know I, th- I think you're you're probably looking at think jamie just as a change in existential priorities in terms of how how society is going to organize itself and that's that's going to be political it's going to be economic it's going to be environmental it's going to be i think very much across the board um that's that's the sense that i'm getting uh from this
0: yeah you know a lot of people uh, you know I talk to every day uh, have a have a view that the environmental I'm trying to I'm digging for the right word here, but the environmental uh, movement I guess has a lot of it's like a lot of it's a lot of socialism cloaked in a gr- green flag, I suppose. Absolutely, you know, and absolutely for someone that came from that environment, you know, obviously very extreme inversion extreme version of it. And what are your views on that? Is this a positive thing? Is, is there real risks here? I mean, I'm, I'm mostly on the view that there's, you know, there's some serious risks in what's going on here, even though I, I would consider myself very pro environment and very pro green in general. Um, you know, some of the underlying elements here are, are a bit frightening to me.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I think, there's these things never happen incrementally, uh, at least, or at least definitely not, there's definitely a lot of people who don't think incrementally about this. Mm. Um, so, is there a risk? Absolutely. Um, but I think to be entirely fair, um, you know, kind of I, I kind of see multiple generations, I guess my own, my parents, my grandparents. Um, and there's always, you know, I, I, I think North America in many ways has been a very fortunate, fortunate continent. You know, because you haven't seen the same, um, I think, maybe drastic changes that the old world had seen before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think that look, you know, popular sentiment shifts one way, then it shifts another way. I think we're living through through just one of those cycles. Um, there's definitely a reason that things come to the fore. Um, I I don't believe in the randomness. I think that, you know, the seeds of your Success or 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 failure are a stone in the previous cycle, for one reason or another. So, you just happen to be in this place. I think if you, you know, if you talk, if you talk to younger people today, I think they they kind of look at their older generation. I look, for instance, my son who is eleven, and he, what does he tell me? He says, "You work too much, you know, <laughs> you know, you're not able to do the things that you know you should be able to do in life." You do this or that. And then I look at it and say, "You know what? I, I grew up." Kind of think hoping to have a life like i have right now where i can do the things that i enjoy and i really enjoy my work and you know we've been rewarded well you know financially and the like and so you know as a you're speaking as an immigrant and somebody who looked at this life you see no that's actually really great
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: he looks at me and he says you know what like your life is not that great you know you you could you could do other things and more things and that's just the way they see it so uh, you know they'll grow up and they'll see for themselves and then we'll see what changes come afterward but it's one of those things that just comes, you know, there's probably not a whole lot more I can add to it.
0: Mm -hmm. When you were in Peru, when you were at this conference and you saw, um, you know, the Chinese get up there and emphasize the importance of, of copper and battery metals and the like, was, you know, was this the solidification of a thought you'd been having for some time? Or was this like a, you know, the light bulb goes off and it's an aha moment, like, holy shit. I got to get <laughs> the copper today. I'm don't
1: think I'm not. think i not, I'm not a big believer in holy shit. I mean, I think it's just, um, it builds in itself. You know, yeah. I think it's, you know, when, when you, when you're in this business and I mean, I spent, I spent a long time, I think, um, trying to do something that I really enjoy. I think you try you try uh, a lot of things. And I think you kind of reflect on them and you see what you did, right. You see what you didn't do right. And you just try to do better next time. Um, and I think it was solidifying in my head. Like I just didn't know what was even the point of a lot of companies that I saw. I didn't understand where it was all going. You know, somebody gets a deposit, and they I guess they do a little drilling. What they want to take it into production. I mean, that's all great, and I give tremendous credit to the management teams that actually do this kind of stuff. I just didn't understand what would investors gonna invest in what are you really getting? Like, what is the team? What is the theme? What is the, what is the overriding vision that will allow you to really stick in there through the inevitable process? And I think that kind of when I saw the Chinese up there, one thing that I probably did was it solidified my it solidified further my view that this is really the big place where things are going.
0: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: And I think that's, that's what was, that's what was interesting and exciting because you need, you need real flex, and whatever you choose so you can make it through the inevitable rough patches it just doesn't work any other
0: way it's true it seems nowadays you know all the big investments or all the not big investments all the very well performing investments are tethered to a very big idea you know whether it's tesla and you know the electrification of everything starting with cars or spacex i mean i guess i'm just talking about elon musk right now but also uh-huh. you know even amazon and you know i've seen this uh a lot over the last year in the, call it copper and electric, uh, the ba- the battery metal space, or we haven't seen it is in gold, you know, and I think the big idea in gold has really, um, it's kind of had its thunder stolen by Bitcoin and blockchain and, mm-hmm. you know, the crypto space in general. And you know, it's interesting to see, you know, I don't think the fundamentals of gold have changed at all. I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think it's going to play a less important role in sort of our society and financial system. But, the, you know, the, the air has kind of been let out of the balloon a little bit, I think. The excitement isn't there. And you, you can very plainly see it lacks the retail excitement that it once had uh, maybe um, a cycle ago. And you know, it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of that energy, at least in the commodities and resources space, is flowing into copper and is flowing into battery metals and the like.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the the I think the reason it is is because you know you want to ideally invest in something that's more than just a project or more than just a commodity. Mm-hmm. I think you want to invest in something that's central. Uh, you know, and I mean, kind of I I I think that's what really you need for conviction and to build something too you know, and because you, you you need, it just needs to be solid to a degree where it's not just sort of today's idea or, you know, something that's temporary, but you're like, you know what, this is really something that that could, they can hold throughout. And that's what excited, that's what excited Brett and I yeah. uh, when we were putting this together.
0: So I'll tell you a story. Um, probably around 2016, uh, a friend of mine that I was working with, we were on the same floor of an office, uh, not in the same company. He was a young analyst, um, and we talked seriously about the idea of a copper royalty company. Um, and we, like, we had a deck made and we looked at potential assets and we talked to people. And then, uh, you know, we talked to a few people and a lot of people said, you know, it's not going to work. Um, copper doesn't trade at the same multiples as gold. You're not going to get the credit in the market. No one gives a shit, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of like took the steam out of our ideas. And we, you know, we went out, we both went and did other things. Um, now, you know, what's your share price? 380, 350, right? What's the range it's in now?
1: I think right now 390 or so.
0: 390, you know, when we first talked about what you were doing, you're at 25 cents. So I think, um, you have definitively proven that that is wrong, uh, that, you know, you're not going to get a nice premium. You're not going to trade well. You're not going to have interest from investors. Why the fuck are there no other? copper royalty companies out there that I can find, or I can think of anyways. It seems, you know, there's, you know, you throw a goddamn rock in Vancouver and you hit a gold royalty company. There are no copper royalty companies. There's very few base metal royalty companies at all. Um, Well, look,
1: I mean, I can, you probably talk to the same guys that we talked to, uh, who who were opining on how the markets should trade. I, I think, listen, you know, a lot of it is a function of when we came at it, I didn't think about it like a company. Um, I thought of it, I'm kind of, I really thought of this when I saw the changes, I, I, I literally saw this all as inevitable. And so we ran into the same people and it was actually very frustrating because, you know, you, you, know, you have some really nice uh, copper royalties, and people are like, well, you know, if you had a sh- if you had a small cash flow in gold royalty, that would make us investable. And you, you, kind, of look, you kind of look at them and say, mm-hmm. I really don't know what, what is the next thing to say in that conversation, because you're just operating from a totally different frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's, a, you know, you, copper before, I mean, in their defense, never had this kind of macroeconomic support. I think, like, it is the world's largest industrial metal already, even before this whole green green transition. Um, but it's viewed upon as a purely industrial metal. It's not looked upon as strategic. It's not like oil or anything like that. So, you know, the, the prior royalty companies outside of gold and silver never really picked up mass invested interests. I think that was, I think we when you, when you look at what made the gold royalty companies possible, you know, management teams have done a phenomenal job, particularly among so the early entrants will really become the mainstays. Mm-hmm. Um, but you but you also were capitalizing on the early investor interest in the commodity itself. And then as the as the miners trip themselves up over time, the royalty companies were there to pick up the slack and say, hey, you can invest in the same commodity using a low-cost model, pure revenues, diversified, and you've seen the investor interest pick up. The industrial metals never had that. Um, and so that's why I think a lot of people were very skeptical about the idea of a copper royalty company. What we saw was, yes, that is a correct point up to date, but given where the world is going, and this is going to be literally the central element in in changing how we live, we felt that, I mean, I guess you can use the easy word as the next oil, we well, thought that this is going, to be, is going to change.
0: Goldman Sachs very recently used that exact expression in a report they released. Right? Is copper the next oil and gas, or the next oil, perhaps? What do you think on that? Yeah, is that a little fastidious, well, look, or is we, we, it? I know? mean, the
1: thing is, we were saying it privately in 2018. Um, you know, it was it was more difficult to say it publicly because people would think that you're crazy. Uh, you yeah, know, so we were just kind of building our plan, going through the network. Um, kind of making contact with royalty owners, mapping out assets. But that's what what I think was the central idea behind the company, is that these are really essential commodities now. This isn't just some niche play uh, that's kind of here today and gone tomorrow.
0: I've talked about this on this podcast before with a few people. And, you know, energy companies, energy products, you know, oil, tends to trade at much higher valuations, and at a premium to mining companies. And Mm -hmm. do you think, you know, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but over the next year or five years or 10 years that we start to see that shift in the valuations and the multiples that, you know, particularly energy, excuse me, that energy metal companies trade at. Do you think we see the coppers and the nickels start to really, really, I guess, command a value that they haven't previously, because they start to be Sort of viewed as energy as opposed to mining.
1: Oh yeah, listen, I I think you're you're in the first inning of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you literally are you know, because if you look at say the market valuations of even some of the best companies in our sector, they're they're pretty low. You know, so, and we, and when you consider that you're going to be asking these companies to go and go build mines to enable. The entire global shift. The, it's not going to happen at this at, at this commodity price that you see today, and it's not going to happen at the equity valuations you see today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I just don't know how you get away from all this. Um, so yeah, you, you know, I mean, you see, I, I think country after country has come out with I think pretty pretty ambitious uh, energy transition plans, and I think those are bound to intensify here over time. And then the question at, at some point at some point everyone's everyone's attention will gaze over to the um first part of the supply chain which is the mining
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know i guess to borrow your phrase that will be an oh shit moment um yeah. because i mean this stuff is just hard work i mean like take a take a look at takataka Taka, for instance you know that's um i think our largest royalty position at the moment um first quantum just came out. Uh, said they they plan to make a construction decision 2023-24 so uh, assuming they go ahead and kind of really move it forward i don't think they'll be able to build a second mine while they're doing this one and that yeah, because it just takes so much so much energy and capital and, and effort.
0: yeah you
1: know these greenfield mines are massive undertakings now but even that mine will fill it off with 2% of the supply gap forecast for 2030.
0: And so what's the capital expectation, the capital cost expectations on a mine like this? Billions, presumably. I, mean,
1: look, I think eventually, I mean, I, I, if history is any guide, I mean, they're gonna run, uh, they're gonna run well over 3 billion So you know, to build something like that.
0: To get the sector up to speed to meet proposed demand. I mean, we're not talking billions of dollars here. We're talking trillions of dollars absolutely
1: and and this it's not it's not just that it's not just the dollar volumes it's the risk attached to those dollars i mean the thing is like it's it, i mean for instance you you can go spend a trillion dollars tomorrow tomorrow to maybe lay some infrastructure around the country and maybe you can have some sort of utility payment payment for it and the actual risk attached to those dollars is maybe not that high mm. but if you're talking about going, going to build a mine in a business which has difficult public relations, where governments are always looking out for more in terms of uh, payouts. The unions are going to look for the same environmental. So it, you're talking about mega billions or trillions of risk capital that you're going to have to attract into the sector. I mean, I don't think anybody really thinks about what that actually means. Um, so I kind of when I look at today's prices, I mean, they're not terribly relevant, Jamie, um, as far as what... What is actually going to have to happen to attract an industry which has suffered tremendously from overspending before, and from and, and from investments which are still underwater, and to get them to commit en masse to actually enable all this? I think that's going to be the question that no, nobody can answer right now.
0: So let's actually unpack what you just said there for a second. So an industry where there's been a history of overspending. So let's let's talk about what you mean by that. Well,
1: I mean, when you look at why why did the royalty companies, for instance, the gold and solar royalty companies become such popular investments?
0: Because in they the first place? don't have to uh account for capital costs.
1: You don't have to account for capital, you don't have to account for operating. So when the when the big a lot of the big miners uh, ran into some troubles in the early parts of the prior decade, um, from sort of what was done during the boom. Mm. Um, investors at some point just said, time out. And I think when you and, and when you when you look at when the when the the royalty companies really became mainstream investments. It was really then that um, they came forward as a mainstream asset class. And when you, if you just go back to the history of deals from 2013 to th- 2016, that three-year stretch is when great companies like Franco and Wheaton Precious really built, I think, the bulk of their modern portfolio mm. because, they, because they had the cost of capital that nobody else had at the time.
0: Well, so this was when the mania, uh, particularly in the gold space, was happening where it was basically like, Forget about making money, add ounces to the balance sheet, right? Get bigger, get mm-hmm. more. This is when, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name here, when Redback uh, was acquired by Ken Ross mm-hmm. for, what was, it, what was it, like $7 billion or something insane for that? I think that's about right, yeah, a like, big number. Almost entirely got written off their books, you know, a couple of years later. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you think we hit a point where we start to see this in the copper industry as well, or in the, in the copper mining industry, rather, where it's, God, you know, damn it! Acquire copper at any price in any project. Get pounds in the ground.
1: Well, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think, I, I, I think, I think it's a very good question being asked because you know you are you are definitely generating more interest now. Mm. Um, well, we're hitting ten-year
0: highs today, basically. You know, people are actually picking up and caring. But,
1: but the market is still not rewarding companies that much. I mean, for instance, if you look at say the the, the market cap of say Tech Resources, a phenomenal company. I think it's what eleven billion or some something along mm-hmm. those lines. I mean, Quebrada Blanca, uh, which they're finishing right now, that's a seven billion dollar build by itself. So, so I mean, just to visualize those numbers. Yeah. So this value like is they,
0: not trickled down at all to the equities.
1: Not yet at all. And so, the thing, so, so there's. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest question. I think you've got to ask yourself right now is, yes, there is interest in the commodity. Yes, the price is higher when you actually look at the market i don't think you see that widespread appreciation yet at all i mean and, and tech, i think is easily one of the best companies out there a an incredible asset pipeline you know that you know the fact that, that the com- a company of that quality trades for 11 billion dollars i think tells you that nothing has really happened yet in terms of in terms of a real reaction to what's going on
0: yeah you know what i'd like to talk about kind of in that vein is actually how you find these royalties and how you find these assets because you know resource insider uh for the last year we've been really focused on finding good copper investments and we found a few but man i've had to beg and borrow and bully and like use every trick in the book to like get a hold of these companies get into financings like i just had to you know it's been super competitive and you know there aren't many that come up there aren't many there are even less good ones that come up and, you know, it's really hard to find, you know, I can throw a rock and hit a gold company, you know, in a hundred meters in any direction from here, but good copper companies are, you know, are very far behind, like, especially like sort of development stage, earlier stage like we like to get into. I mean, Solaris mm-hmm. is a good example of one. Uh, we just invested yes. in Meridian in mm-hmm. in Brazil. There's, you know, there's a few, but they're hard. So... You know correct me if i'm wrong i can't imagine it's much easier finding a good royalty good copper royalty right now that a company wants to part with how are you guys doing that
1: well so look i mean we asked all these questions kind of when we started and i think the conclusion we came to jamie was that if you want to get top-notch copper royalties you're not going to get them from the miners outside of some very unusual events um, so really the only way to get them in any real sustainable way is to find the third party owners.
0: Mm.
1: So, and and usually those existing royalties are generated um, through the purchase of the asset by a major at some point in the past. So, so imagine you're a prospector somewhere, you find the asset, early indications are good, but then you never would run into the problem of not enough capital, not enough expertise to actually develop it. So, so you sell it off to a major company, which is a smart thing to do, and, uh, and then you get some mix of, you know, cash, shares, and a royalty. Mm-hmm. And that royalty can sit in their family for generations. I mean, that's exactly kind of where, where we bought them, you know. So, um, so you're basically looking for families um, that are located all the way across the copper regions, whether they're in Canada, Argentina, Chile, you know, U.S., etc., um, and you're you're effectively buying the, the family heirlooms uh, that have been sitting that they've been kind of owned by the families for a long time and the like. So it's a, it's a different business for huh. sure.
0: What's the process of actually? I mean, are you just driving around, showing up at cabins in the foothills of uh, some mountain range, and there's like a grandma on the porch <laughs> and like a rocking chair, and you're like, give you a couple grand for that royalty you got uh, in the filing cabinet back there? It's, uh, How does the process it... actually work? <laughs>
1: It's not quite that romantic. Um, the, um, what we uh, basically, like, we when we started the company, I think we we were fortunate that we have some really kind of experienced people that had relationships with with people that own these royalties uh, for for many years. So and they had done deals before. So um, and that experience and just uh, comfort in those environments has been so critical. Uh, because look, I mean, I live I live in New York. Um, I don't live in Chile or Argentina or anywhere else where we transact a lot of business. Um, there's only there's really nothing you can do um, without a team that really understands kind of the local individuals and the sensibilities and and how kind of you can marry both the needs of us as a Canadian public company and the people down there, mm. you know, kind of with their local culture. And so I think you know really the biggest asset we've developed I think in the company's life here about three years is just the team and the trust and the coordination and just the ability to get things done and keep sort of getting these deals done because they're they're much more complex than you usually see in a yeah. standard North American corporate setting
0: well you know and, that, and that's what I was just wondering as you were saying this do most of the 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 vendors of the royalty the sellers of the royalty are they do they want cash or do they do they want a position in the company? Do they want an equity stake in in Nova?
1: You know, it, 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 actually, one of the best things we've seen um, is really kind of more and more people wanting equity. Hmm. Uh, you know, when we when we when we started the company, I think it was definitely oriented more toward cash. Although, sort of even from the first deal when we bought Dumont, you know, they took a pretty sizable equity position as well. Um, but like the best example I can give is probably the Takataka Taka deal. Um, and when we, we bought it in two pieces, we, we bought the first 0.24% NSR. Um, we announced it in October just a week after going public. And then the second piece we bought, uh, in January. And so the first deal was 80% cash, 20% stock, uh, which is understandable. You know, we were, we were a new company. We were just about to go public We're and, um, I think they liked what we we're doing, but I think they had a healthy skepticism about whether we could deliver and what we said we we're going to do. So, um, So basically it was that that's the deal was structured. And then they saw us go public and we kept growing the company. I think investors began to see what we're trying to accomplish Um, and it had gone pretty well. And then when they reached out to us and they said, you know, we want to sell our remaining uh, 0.18% interest. And we started talking and the like, and I said, you know, we really like what you guys have done. Uh, You were transparent with us from the very beginning. Um, you've done everything you said you're going to do. you treat treated us like gentlemen very much. So on this deal, we actually would like to take a lot more equity. So the second deal was actually 80% equity and 20% cash. Ah, there you go. Um, and, and actually at a meaningfully higher valuation than the first one. So I think that as we grow here and people really see that this has a chance to be a very unique company in terms of owning royalties, life of mine, and some of the most important mineral assets in the world. Um, I think more and more people will want to be involved in the equity side. That said, um, you know, we try not to be too dogmatic about this. We always would prefer people take equity. I think it's better for everyone, but people need cash to, to live and eat, you mm-hmm. know? So a lot of the time, you know, it will be so they can get, they, they can pass money on to their kids and those kids may have certain cash requirements which are coming today. So there's, you're really, you're really dealing with families that need solutions. I mean, I think on the very fundamental level, and I think you need to understand that. Uh, first and foremost. But obviously, look, in some cases, like in Takataka, they definitely do embrace kind of what we're doing. And that's really exciting.
0: So how does how does Nova continue to grow? Um, Do you continue to approach these sort of mom and pop royalty owners? Do you Mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, you scale up to a point where you're, you know, where you're in a position or or of a disposition where you want to acquire a producing uh, cash flowing royalty? You know, what's the what's the future look like? terms of growth plans
1: look when we when we started the company i think what made it really exciting and i I think what to be honest made it worth i think that the effort of starting a company uh, is we really saw this as the most compelling investment out there because you're able to uh, own you know lifetime exposure to the uh, efforts of the most important companies out there
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i think so so i think we've created a lot of value uh, what we've done so far, and I think the value of those holdings will appreciate significantly over time just because these assets have a way of getting bigger and more important when you buy at the very top end of the chain. We've got a busy pipeline here. I think we could, we, we definitely will keep on growing kind of the model that we've had. That said, we, we we really see this as sort of as a, what will be, I think, the, the easiest investment for anyone to make in copper in the energy transition. So. We absolutely will orient the company toward the cash flow side here eventually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think if you want, if you want to build the base of value, I think the way we've done it is the best way. Um, if we bought a, cap, a big cash flow realty immediately, it would have blow up the capital structure and it just wouldn't work. Um, but absolutely, I mean, you want this to become a dividend payer for generations to come, you know. So I think as you so as you as you lay it on assets and quality. Um, there will be some great opportunities, I think, to add some cash flow and royalties, um, whether they're third party or whether they're a generation of royalties, any situations, absolutely.
0: Alex, you know, you've created a really interesting, what I would consider like an investment bucket for people that are looking to allocate capital. Um, You know, the mining industry is such a, is such an interesting space because for those of us who've got our heads down in it every day, uh, you know, you're trying to raise a million dollars or maybe you're even trying to raise a hundred million dollars and they seem, and they are for, for normal people, vast amounts of money. But then you go to where you live, a place like New York, maybe a place like London. And often the mining companies, even the successful mining companies, the royalty companies, what have you, are like, trading at market caps or looking for um, quantities of capital that are below consideration for for many, for many capital providers, right, where these guys can't Mm -hmm. really get out of bed uh, if they're not writing a hundred million dollar plus check because it doesn't move the needle for their portfolio. So I've often kind of thought, you know, the trick to be a really successful mining company is you want to be massive for the mining space. But tiny for the general investment space, but just big enough that they can think, all right, you know what? We'll we'll, we'll take a flyer on this guy, and it's, it becomes a hundred million dollar right. check. So that's I've always thought like that's the ideal thing, and this is what a lot of the mining funds get away with, right? The private equity firms can go raise one, two, three billion dollars from pension plans and university uh, universities and whatever, where it's tiny amounts of alternative investment for them, but you know you got a billion dollars in the bank and get a lot done there. I think you've created an interesting potential bucket for that. So, what I want to know is, you're sitting there in the middle of New York, and I guess it's a pandemic, so you're sitting there on Zoom in the middle of New York. But exactly right. Who's knocking on your door these days? You know, who are you having conversations with?
1: It's interesting. Um, you know, when you look at when you look at sort of um, the company to date, you know, we have obviously backing from BD Capital out of Vancouver, who you're, you're probably familiar with. And, you know, they backed us just before we went public, gave us a facility, which enabled us to really buy those initial assets when we when we just uh, started trading. Um, most of the rest of the register, I think, is still very retail oriented, you know, when I, look, when, I, when I look at the company right now, because I think that retail in many ways has been earlier to spot what's happening before the institutions. Um, but I think that sort of just judging from the conversations we're having now, I think I think that almost every investor you talk to whether the institutional, whether the retail, I think they appreciate what we're trying to do
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so and i think I think they like the concept, I think they like what we've done so far. so I think as the company grows here, there will be an organic transition where um it does become a very interesting investment for the institutional investors um you know, and I think that's just part of the process you know uh, for for us i mean we ne- we're never meant for it to be a niche company, in a sense that we, we we saw this the theme was so large and so overwhelming, we figured that it would be interesting for any investor who wanted to invest either in the energy transition or in mining or just get the commodity price exposure. Here you get that. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, thing, Jamie, where people said, oh, you know, you are a royalty company, so if I want to get copper exposure, that's a good way. I said, yeah, look, you're going to get all the copper exposure you want here um, and nickel. But I think the more interesting part is you get the exposure to the top tier assets. Mm. And, it, and, it, and because when you look, when you, when you look at um, how difficult it is for an asset to get to the point where it's legitimately um, at the front of the line for a major or close to the front of the line, um, these are really unique, uh, it's unique real estate. And so if you can invest in that sort of unique real estate, just getting a top line exposure and diversified company for, for the trend that's really just getting started, that's going to be so large. We felt it was only a matter of time before kind of the wider world noticed what we were up to. Um, so I think we'll just keep on building the company in a sensible way um, as we've been doing. And I think the investors, sort of large and small, will, will be quite interesting.
0: So, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are, you know, young geologists and engineers or mining entrepreneurs or a lot of would be mining entrepreneurs. And what do you have to say to those people that are watching this and then they're thinking, holy shit, that Alex guy is a goddamn genius. I wish I would thought of that a couple of years ago. And I need to get into the copper space now. Like, where's the opportunity? Where's the opportunity for people that want to build businesses that take advantage of this shift, of this zeitgeist that we're we're talking about?
1: I mean, I think really it's just I think we're in the first inning. Um, This is a fundamental shift. And there will be, I think, multiple opportunities for people to to do really well. I mean, I can tell you just like I'm not qualified to give to give any advice. I mean, I'm just like everybody else here trying to hack away at this every day. Um, I think you got to get very I think your teammates matter a ton. Um, You know, just really having people that you see the world similarly with um, and you want to accomplish the same things and you have enough in common just as people that you can make it through the just the challenges everyone faces. You know it's like mm-hmm. I, I remember i was um i read one of the books and a, a quote stuck out with me the team the teams that succeed are the ones that find the way to cross a stream together um and i think that that really stuck with me um i think it's a really critical thing so i think if you have like-minded teammates and you want to do good things then i think you'll probably do pretty well eventually
0: okay well no thank you for that i think that's very good advice um and you know i've gotten to meet a lot of teams in the mining space and elsewhere over the last couple of years. And I would say that definitely echoes true for, for what I've seen as well. So Alex, is there anything I have not asked you that I should have?
1: Um, It's a good question. I mean, look, I think, you know, we're, I I think that there's one thing that kind of, we always try to impress upon people is, um, whatever you see now is sort of as being labeled as the future say, Oh, these kind of these deficits you're talking about, they're not happening tomorrow or, you know, a lot of this stuff hasn't happened. But I I would always urge everyone to see, to kind of just pay attention to where's the conviction among the people today, who has the conviction and where do they want to take it? Because I think that's where you're going to see things heading. And when you look at, um, and when you look at sort of the things that need to get done to accomplish the goals that have been set out, those decisions need to be happened today in order to actually accomplish that. And you're actually already behind per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if, if there's anything I think is maybe impressive on people, the urgency of what is happening today, and I think to position yourselves accordingly. Um, you know, it was actually interesting, you know, how many people you run into who still think that crude oil is a benchmark for inflation. You know, and and I think. There's still an enormous number of people, people who feel that way, but I think you know oil, with all due respect, I think you know it's it's losing it's losing the attention of the people who actually make decisions and move things along, and I think you want to be where things that are actually happening.
0: And where do you what do you think is the benchmark for inflation these days? Is it copper? Is it gold? What, what are you thinking?
1: I don't think we have I um, I don't think we have a single benchmark like we had before.
0: The Big I mean, Mac, think, maybe
1: the big Mac. listen I, th- I think before we had I-, I think before when the world i think rolled in a way that was um more understandable for most i think the benchmarks were more accepted i think it's going to take us a little bit of time here to find something that works for the new um for the new era i mean we'll get we'll get there like we always do um but i but i don't i don't think we have a single one right now um like we did before
0: all right well Alex, if people want to learn more about Nova Royalties, where do they go? Where do they find you? Well, look,
1: our, our website, uh, novaroyalty.com is a good place to start. And uh, so we're always trying to put on some more content in there to explain uh, to people what we're trying to do, keep it really simple and understandable. And uh, and if they want to reach out to us, uh, our contact info is available. And um, you know, I talk to investors all the time, it's really fun to explain what we're trying to do just so that it becomes clear and understandable for anyone.
0: All right. Alex, thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Alex Sukernik. I get it. Sukernik from Nova Royalties. Do check him out. Alex, thanks again for taking the time to chat. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Me too. If you want more like it, head over to resource-insider.com, my website where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter where you're going to get instant access to all of our new podcasts and videos. We're going to keep you up to date on what's going on in the mining industry. And most importantly, we're going to show you where we're investing our own money and what I think are the hottest deals and opportunities in the sector. Thanks for listening.